0: He's going to bring the church to repentance. There's going to be a lot of Christians in these coming days that are going to be brought into a deep level of repentance. They're going to get themselves right in so many respects. Things that that their way of thinking Christianity is, God's going to realign that. And in that realignment, that's going to be a repentance. God's going to adjust his people. He's going to get them in line with his will. And these people are going to start to seek him at a level none of them have ever sought him before. So there's going to be this huge move of revival just like very similar to the revivals of the past it'll be in the church and God's going to get ministers in line God's going to get his people in line and then he's going to go outside of the church to start touching the community and he's going to start bringing in unsaved people that don't know Jesus are going to start to get revelations that he's the truth God really does exist the church is also going to receive some great power in in to administer the gospel. Their, their words will come sharp and like a double-edged sword. People will be getting, you know, for lack of a better word, slain in the spirit, but not the way it was done in Pensacola. But this is through absolute repentance. Their hearts are going to be completely changed, and uh, we're going to see this huge move of the spirit in the church. The limbs are going to be growing back. People that are blind are going to see again. People that are deaf are going to hear again, both spiritually and physically. And uh, the the sick will be made well. People with cancer will be getting healed just like it was in the first church. Now the difference between this move of God and the first move of God at Pentecost it's going to be a Pentecostal move um, and different to any other revival in history is that Something's going to happen at the end of that. Instead of the revival dying down, God is going to then empower the church and make it a militant church. And he's going to completely possess his people and speak the words from all four corners of the earth to the nations. And anyone who's going to come up against the people of God at that time are going to be coming against God himself. And God will be striking many dead who try to harm Anyone in the church. Now, if this is so, this is because that what I said then was coming from the revelation um, of the two witnesses and who they are according to Scripture. They're the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Yes. Who's ready to study the Word? Yes. So put on your thinking caps, the helmet of salvation. Get your mind in that place. Um, we're going to uh, continue up from where we left off last week. And uh, who, who got a lot out of last week? Yes. Yes. Yeah, who felt there was some sort of revelational stuff in it? Um, what I said: if it's in the scriptures, it's the truth. And if we take from the scriptures and scripture, uh, the Bible, you know, uh, interprets itself, and we can get come to this conclusion on, uh, from what the scriptures are saying about what we are looking forward to. When I say looking forward to what is coming, coming. Okay. to the church, it is good to be forewarned. Amen? Good to be forewarned mm. so that we can start to uh, act as the Christians we're meant to be. Mm. That we're meant to be bolder, meant to be stronger, meant to be you know, uh, believing for um, supernatural things to take place that are way beyond us. Way beyond mm. us. Who knows that the Scriptures speak of the end times? Mm. Now, do you know many Christians don't want to hear about end times? They don't like it. They think, end times? Why is this guy speaking on end times? It's making me feel uncomfortable. Mm. This is like watching the news and just seeing bad news all the time. Mm. But the the funny thing is, is Jesus spoke considerably about the last days. Uh, the book of Revelation reveals a huge amount about the last days. Mm-hmm. If we go through uh, Paul's writings, a huge amount of what Paul had to say was about the last days. And you go through the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel and then all the you know, uh, minor prophets as well. You'll find a huge amount spoken about the end times. Actually, more has been written about the time we're heading into than any other time in history. So there was a a fair bit written, not much compared, about the days of Moses when he went into Egypt. And there was a bit written and and there was some prophecies that were stated and they knew, the Hebrews knew, that there was going to be um, someone risen up to set them free from Egypt. And there was great exploits done in Egypt. We've had more written about this time. Like they say, a third of this book is prophecy, speaks of times to come. And I would dare say over half of that third speaks about the time we're heading into. So should there ever be a time where the church starts to really get their head into these scriptures and really, truly make sense of them? Because I think the church for the last hundred years has been hugely distracted. And uh, me included and many included been distracted we've been just focusing on prosperity and the good parts of the scriptures and feel good in Christ and, and it's all you know uh, God's here to bless you and he's here to make you rich and he's here to make you uh, prosper in your workplace and etc 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 do you know that teaching doesn't fit in the Middle East no one goes to the Middle East and preaches that have you notice that they don't go to the underground church in China and preach that because these, these Christians in those places, they're experiencing hardship like we wouldn't even consider. I, if you've ever, and I've told, I think I've mentioned this book in the church a few times, there's a book called The Heavenly Man. Have you read that yes, book? Is. That is one, if you really want to get your eyes opened to what Christians in China are going through and the kind of ministry that they have, the kind of things that they confront on a daily basis, um, it. It's sort of like I felt a little bit ashamed having yeah. it so good. you know what I mean, Fiona? Yes, if you've read the book, I felt like, oh, yeah. man, I've got it so good here. I felt the same way. I don't suffer at all for Christ, mm. except with my own sin. <laughs> mm. These guys are dealing with their own sin and mm. huge amount more. Persecution beyond belief. Mm. And then if you read books like Tortured for Christ... And you read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I'm not just saying open a few pages. I'm saying read it from cover to cover. I did that with Fox's Book of Martyrs. I read it from cover to cover because I wanted to get in perspective what Christians have gone through in the past. And then, you know, the largest book on martyrdom that there is out there, and when I say a book, it's a book that is in heaven, is the 20th century. Do you know... When you, if you read through Fox's Book of Martyrs, you go from, it goes century by century and it talks about the Christians that have suffered for the faith and it goes right through up to the 19th century. Sorry, the 20th century. Then it says more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than all of the other 19th centuries combined. And we realise, and I realise, I'm going, how could the church be so prosperous in the West and not have any concept of martyrdom? At all, being prepared to suffer for Jesus. Not one concept. Like, I went, I, I went into a, uh, the church that I was going to a few years ago and I said, I'm a martyr for Christ. And do you know how many Christians mocked me and said, you can have that on your own? Mm-hmm. There was about two or three of them. And the rest of them were like in shock that I said it. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, hang on. Because I, I, was, I, was, I got saved outside of the church. I went into the church having read the Bible before I stepped foot into a church. So I got saved outside of the church, and I read the whole Bible, and I had my understanding of the Scriptures, and I went into church, and I went in there with this martyr attitude, and I understood things. I was prepared to go through tribulation, because Jesus says through much tribulation you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. I was That was my heart. I will go into the church. That's an alarm to remind me that it's <laughs> 11 o'clock. <laughs> so we're going to... Have one minute of silence, and then I probably have to try to remember what I just was talking about. All right, let's have one minute of silence. Yep. Unless we forget the great men of God and women of God that have gone before us. We must remember the uh, soldiers that died for our country, but we must remember the soldiers that have died for Jesus Christ as well. And so this is why I preach like I do, because it's very rare these days. Who knows, it's very rare to hear sermons like this. So rare, in fact, that um, I've had quite a few people contact me and say, uh, out of their knowledge, I'm the only person that preaches this. I'm the only person that preaches, you know, to... You know, when Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, you'll be my martyrs. That's what he's saying. You'll be my martyrs in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you're going to receive power to be those martyrs. And uh, we need to have our heart checked, don't we? We need to have our heart checked. You know, when I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it made me check my heart. I said, Lord, if I got put to this, if I got put to one of these things that I read these thousands of accounts, thousands of accounts of men and women of God that were put to the test by by the evil one, what would I do? Is my heart ready? Is my heart ready for these times and these things? If this came upon me, outside of my own will but according to the will of God if it came on me what would i do would i give up the faith and say i never bought into this i never i never expected this this is not when i put up my hand and said i'll receive jesus this is not what i asked for we have to ask ourselves these questions because if you're not you could be tested in the faith one day and give up jesus we've got to check our faith are we the genuine article or is Christianity just that thing we do on Sunday to make us feel better? You know, it's, it, this is the real deal. And Jesus tells us that this time is going to come upon the whole earth. No one will escape. And we see things heating up. We see things taking place in the Middle East. We see the people stirred into a frenzy. We see ISIS rising and taking out countries destroying civilizations that have been around for you know, a few thousand years, just wiping them out. Are we ready? Are we ready for these times? And you know what? What's happening right now is nothing, absolutely nothing, because Jesus says there will never be times like this. There, was, there has never been a time as bad as the time that's coming. And I'm not saying this to bring anyone down today. I'm saying this because, Lord, we've got to find hope in this. We've got to be able to wrestle with the deep teachings of Scripture. Wrestle with these hard teachings and then put it in perspective and find joy in Christ even in the midst of. Do you know what I'm saying? How did Brother Yun find joy in torture and imprisonment? He found a Christ in, in that place. He found Christ in a way that most Christians in the West will never experience. And I'm not saying you can't experience Christ outside of persecution. You can, amen. We all have. We all have come to Jesus. But God is preparing his people. And it might sound strange in when you get in your car and drive and it's completely fine. Everything's fine. The neighborhood's fine. Everything's good. We just go on with our normal life and you sort of think, well, that half an hour was a little bit weird and the whole flow of my week. You know what I'm saying? But I've got a preacher who, because the Lord's placed it on my heart. It must be preached. that It must get out there. We must prepare ourselves for these times that lay ahead. Now, the Revelation 11, if you remember, um, AOC Network um, was where I, I got stimulated with this um, consideration. And I thank Geron Lewis of AOC Network for much of the content of this sermon, as it had a great impact on reshaping my views of the two witnesses. If you see it in perspective, you get a picture of the last day's revival. And this is what God's sort of been speaking to me about is that the church is going to He's going to bring the church to repentance. There's going to be a lot of Christians in these coming days that are going to be brought into a deep level of repentance. They're going to get themselves right in so many respects. Things that that their way of thinking Christianity is God's going to realign that. And, the, and in that realignment, that's going to be a repentance. God's going to adjust his people, he's going to get them in line with his will. And these people are going to start to seek him at a level none of them have ever sought him before. So there's going to be this huge move of revival, just like, very similar to the revivals of the past. It'll be in the church, and God's going to get ministers in line. God's going to get His people in line, and then He's going to go outside of the church to start touching the community, and He's going to start bringing in unsaved people. People that don't know Jesus are going to start to get revelations that He's the truth. God really does exist. The church is also going to receive some great power in in to administer the gospel. Their, their words will come sharp and like a double-edged sword. People will be getting, you know, for lack of a better word, slain in the spirit, but not the way it was done in Pensacola. But this is through absolute repentance. Their hearts are going to be completely changed, and uh, we're going to see this huge move of the spirit in the church. The limbs are going to be growing back, people that are blind are going to see again, people that are deaf are going to hear again, both spiritually and physically, and uh, the the sick will be made well, people with cancer will be getting healed just like it was in the first church. Now the difference between this move of God and the first move of God at Pentecost it's going to be a Pentecostal move um, and different to any other revival in history is that Something's going to happen at the end of that. Instead of the revival dying down, God is going to then empower the church and make it a militant church. And he's going to completely possess his people and speak the words from all four corners of the earth to the nations. And anyone who's going to come up against the people of God at that time are going to be coming against God himself. And God will be striking many dead who try to harm Anyone in the church. Now, if this is so, this is because what I said then was coming from the revelation um, of the two witnesses and who they are according to Scripture. They're the two olive trees and the two lampstands. So we're going to try to, I'm going to try to continue giving you a picture of this because you've got to have a picture so you can start to pray and believe for these things. I won't read Revelation 11 in total right now, but who are the two witnesses? The most common view is that the two witnesses are Enoch and Elijah, or Moses and Elijah. Probably more Moses and Elijah was the most popular. We looked at the validity of those two positions. Who remembers that? We, we checked out why people think it's them and so on. Then we looked at who the Bible says they are, and we let the Bible interpret the Bible. And we found that the key verse to their identity is Revelation 11.4, Where it says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. So it tells us that there's two olive trees and there's two lampstands. So you've got to find out, according to scripture, what is an olive tree and what are lampstands and what are witnesses. And so the two olive trees in Romans 11, 13 to 32, it talks about the Gentiles being grafted into the cultivated olive tree and the cultivated olive tree is Israel and the root is Jesus Christ himself. We found that the olive tree represents the Israelite people. Jeremiah 11, 16 to 17 says, The Lord called you, this is um, the Lord talking to Israel, The Lord called you a thriving olive tree with fruit beautiful in form, but with the roar of a mighty storm he will set it on fire and its branches will be broken. Now remember Paul was saying that branches were broken off. And the Gentile branches were grafted in. You can see that similar um, statement there. But the Lord Almighty who planted you has decreed disaster for you. Now, this was um, from the book of Jeremiah. This was just before the Babylonian exile. And God was not pleased with the people Israel. And they were uh, taken off in captivity to Babylon. And so he's saying... Uh, the Lord Almighty, who planted you, has decreed disaster on you, so they're going to be stripped from their land, taken from the land, because the house of Israel and the house of Judah, there's two, house of Israel and the house of Judah, have done evil and provoked me to anger by burning incense to Baal. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Throughout, who's read the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles? Two? How often do they burn incense to Baal and bow down to Baal and also these other foreign gods? And they've got the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords in heaven who set, you know, brought them out of Egypt and, and brought them into the Promised Land. And they ignore him, the real one, and get pulled into these foreign gods. that aren't really gods. They're actually demons, the Scriptures say. But Ezekiel 37, I just want you to turn there. Turn to Ezekiel 37, 15 to 19. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it Ephraim stick belonging to Joseph and all the house of Israel associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your countrymen ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say it to them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to the Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they'll become one in my hand. Now, the word stick is translated from the Hebrew word uh, atz, I think it's how you pronounce it, which is most often translated 162 times in the Scriptures. The word atz is translated tree. 162 times in scripture but in this scripture they translated stick, now what you, in the scriptures when you go and look up the Hebrew or the Greek and you go and find the meaning from a word, often you can actually just read, you know, take the meaning and, because they chose stick rather than tree because they sort of saw two sticks in the hand of God rather than trees in the hand of God but God's got big hands, you know trees are small, too God, you know what I mean, it doesn't have to be a stick So um, stick is translated 162 times as tree, or atz is translated. So if you read that again, because what I'm establishing here is that the two olive trees um, are Israel, are the house of Judah and the house of Israel, the two separate houses. So 37, uh, 15 to 19, and it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take a tree of wood, or a tree, and write on it, Belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another tree and write on it Ephraim's tree belonging to Joseph and all the house of Israel associated with him. Join them together into one tree so that they'll become one in your hand. And what they believe is that will occur in the millennium when God comes back. God's going to make Israel one. And uh, so what I'm getting at is the two olive trees... Are Israel, House of Judah, House of Israel. Revelation 4 is saying that the two witnesses are two olive trees of God's people, Israel. Now the two lampstands, in Revelation 1:12 and and verse 20, lampstands are used as symbols for the church. I don't have to go there. I think you all understand that the lampstand is a symbol for the church. There's actually seven churches symbolised in in the early part of the book of Revelation. Uh, in this case, in the last day's church, we see two lampstands. Revelation 4 is saying that the two witnesses are the two churches or the two bodies of believers. Now, Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So when we're look, looking at, it says the two olive trees and two lamps, these are the, my two witnesses. What he's saying is, uh, that the witnesses are the church are the people in, in those groups. Now the two witnesses we are to be witnesses because the Bible says in Acts one eight, you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Revelation 11.3 it says I'll give power to my two witnesses and they'll prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sack- sackcloth. So what are witnesses? And I said this before the Greek word for witness is martus which is Martha. Acts one eight but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. So we read that God referred to his people Israel as witnesses in Isaiah forty three, ten to twelve, and Isaiah forty four, six to eight. Who remembers that? Mm-hmm. I went into the book of Isaiah and, and he even referred way before the church was born, he referred to Israel as his witnesses Back in Isaiah. So what we see is the witnesses are referred to as God's people, Israel. The witnesses are referred to his people, the church. The trees are Israel. The lampstands are the church. And they're all combined. They're one, unified, just like the seven churches are all unified. There's only one church, one Christ, one body of Christ. But there were seven churches in the last times. There's going to be two churches, two olive trees, which are the same thing and two witnesses, two groups of witnesses. And I'm wondering, like I was praying this morning, these two witnesses, where are they? How are they located? And I believe uh, the Lord spoke to me, whether he did, and we can check this out because everything's got to be confirmed. I don't think um, it's right if I just say, I felt the Lord is saying this, that if you don't check me out, you're crazy. Um, But I believe it could be the East, Eastern Church and the Western Church and the Hebrews are guiding both it could be it could be a um, cuz there's definitely an eastern church which is under you know stress right now but the western church hasn't been under that that kind of stress at all it's completely nearly devoid of proper persecution I'm talking I'm not saying you don't get persecuted by family you you know people do people get persecuted in their family situations they get persecuted in school maybe but no one's getting dragged off the prison here and And killed for the faith. You know, no one in that lady is getting their heads cut off for being a Christian. Amen. But we get persecuted mentally and and so on. So there's other stresses that we still have to deal with. So we are given or receive power. In Revelation 11.3, the Lord says that the two witnesses will be given power. And in Acts 1.8, we see the same promise. Because it says, I'll give power to my two witnesses. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you will be given power. And this is how I look at it too. In my own self, I could not cope with facing persecution in the sense of having to suffer any major, major hardship in my own strength. But If Christ is in me, if Christ is enabling me, I can go through anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Anything can be done. I know the the early disciples, anything they could do. And they did anything that God enabled them to do. And uh, they suffered incredible persecution. The uh, 11 of the 12 disciples suffered intense persecution. But do you know what? If you went up to heaven and met with Peter and said, Pete, would you do all that again, everything you went through? And he says, in a shot. you would say, in a shot, I'd do it again. And you go to any person that's ever suffered for Jesus Christ, they say, they'll tell you straight away, they would eat, do it without even thinking twice. I can't remember who, I was just reading the other day. Um, a famous Christian from the past, he said, if I had a thousand heads, I'd ru- and I'd rather all my thousand heads cut off than miss out on going to heaven. And so what he's saying is, if he has to suffer a thousand times over to get into heaven, he will. He's that prepared. And the reason I say this is, I'm concerned for the church. I'm very, very concerned for Christians these days. Do you know, there's so many Christians, they hear a message like this and they run. They don't want to think about persecution. They don't want to think about, and I said this earlier, and the Bible says that there's going to be a great falling away, a great apostasy of the faith, people giving up Jesus in the thousands, even the millions. And I'm so worried that we're going to see the biggest falling away in the West that you ever believe, and I don't want anyone here to fall into that, giving up Jesus because you're scared. Giving up Jesus because suddenly, you know, you're going to be persecuted if you do. And giving up Jesus because you could end up going to prison for him. You know? I would, you know, we don't want to fall into that. Because the Bible says this great apostasy will take place and many, it says many multitudes will give up the faith. Betray. And this is what they do. They Once they give up the faith, it's like a demonetism and they betray and hate each other. So they give up the faith. Then they start to dob on all the other Christians. So You know, if you want to catch some more Christians, go over to that place, go to that place. They're meeting over there in private. Go there and you're going to round them up. And they'll betray us and hate us. And the love of most will grow cold. The moment you give up Jesus because you face some terrible suffering, you'll have to face terrible suffering. You give up Jesus, your love will go cold. It's like Jesus will depart. And you're left cold, standing cold, like a dead man. We don't want to be there, do we? Mm-mm. And I speak like this because the Lord's placed it on my heart big time. Because it's even warning me there's people in this congregation that aren't prepared, that don't want to hear it. And uh I doesn't mean I don't preach it, you know. This sort of message has, is the most unpopular message in the church at the moment, but you've got to preach it. Yes. You know, you've got to preach it. And I, I risk it every time I get up here. I risk I risk losing people. I risk people in this church walking out. We're already a small church and I risk people walking out. I know I've, I've got led, but there was a few people here last week and I felt so strongly convicted by the Spirit that they would never see them again. Because, of, because I preached on the two witnesses last week. There's been people in the in in recent weeks that have left because they don't agree. They don't agree that God will put us through tribulation of any kind. But didn't Jesus say, "Through much tribulation, you enter the kingdom of heaven." You know, I always think it's better to be prepared to go through the tribulation and not have to go through. not to be prepared to go through one and then get forced to if if my heart's ready I'm prepared Lord if if I have to go through the tribulation and if I have to go through the great tribulation to a degree Lord make me ready in heart and then the Lord says well I'm so glad you're prepared but you don't have to there's going to be a pre-trib rapture of the church I would be the first one up there I'll be jumping as high as the angels could you know what I mean get me out of here Lord But if if you're expecting that and then you're forced to go through it because I'm going to pull up some scriptures today and if I don't get time to preach the full sermon, I'm going to go to these scriptures because they must be heard. Saints in the tribulation suffering great hardship. There's no mention of the church not being there. And the only thing a pre-trib can say to that is, oh, they got converted during the tribulation. Well, who converted them if the church is gone? Mm -hmm. And if the Holy Spirit's lifted off, because that's their their thing, and the argument is the Holy Spirit lifts the church off the earth before the tribulation, well then, who converts them? Mm -hmm. Because the Bible says, how will they know unless someone tells them? Mm -hmm. So who's going to convert those guys Mm -hmm. and make them in a very short amount of time Faithful to the point where they're ready to go through. I just don't see that, and it doesn't say that that's going to happen. It's not in Scripture. It's a an imaginary thing that they made up. It's not actually said. Everything I say about this is scriptural, and I show you the Scripture. And actually, I've got hundreds of Scriptures that I use. Um, So we have to. If it's better to be prepared, isn't it? It's better to be prepared. Clothed in sackcloth. What does that mean? I'll give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years or 42 months, clothed in sackcloth. Now, I don't believe that we literally will... If if this is all true, what I'm saying, I don't believe we'll have to buy some sackcloth and put it on and get all itchy and stuff. I've line mine, but um, I don't think that's what it's referring to. I think what it's referring to is... Because sackcloth in the Old Testament, when they humbled themselves before the Lord and come before the Lord in repentance, they would put on a sackcloth and they'd roll in ashes, mm-hmm. and they would, you know, beat their heads and do all sorts of things, you know. Um, so that's what they would do in the Old Testament. But that, what that was is symbolic of a change of heart, of humbling before God. So the sackcloth clothed with humbleness, clothed with repentance, clothed hum- humility humble people raised up by God and they will be empowered. He's going to give power to the two witnesses. Sackcloth is symbolic reference to a group of people who have humbled themselves and repented. Putting on sackcloth is having an inward change of heart. So in the last days, in Revelation 11 and 3, and I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Joel 2, 28 and 31 says, And afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. So if we go back to this, I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy. We find Joel says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people and, the, and on all the church and your sons and daughters will prophesy. So the church will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. So we'll have incredible insights, incredible knowledge about what's happening and where to go. And what to do and what to say. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So God was very clear. Because usually in the Bible it's just men. It just says men as a plural for men and women. But in this scripture, he wanted to make it very clear. It's not just the men of the church rising up. It's the men of the church and the women of the church. And he's even talking about your sons and daughters and the young ones even. Rising up, And I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And these wonders nearly line up with many of what will happen with with the trumpet blast, with the plagues and the water turning to blood. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's just before the coming of Jesus Christ, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So that also aligns with what Revelation 11.3, which is what it says about the two witnesses that they'll prophesy. We see that God will give the anointing to prophesy. If you go back into the book of Kings, you see when um, uh, the first king, Saul, um, went among the prophets and suddenly Saul was prophesying. Who remembers that? And you find that they, go, um, they walk into certain places, certain people in the, in the scriptures, and all of a sudden they have an anointing to prophesy. It just yeah. comes on them. And uh, so that would be what it's like, anointing to prophesy. And what would prophesying be? It would be speaking the very words of God. Telling them things that are going to take place very soon. Saying to them, um, if you don't stop whatever you're doing over there, if you don't, if you don't put those guns down, this is going to happen to you. If you try to shoot me, the bullet won't affect me, but something bad going to happen to you. You know That's prophesying. And that's what the power of the two witnesses have. No one can harm the two witnesses for three and a half years. You are the two witnesses. The Holy Spirit is present now and is in us now. But for three and a half years, he will be present in a way that will silence all debates. If people doubt who God is, in this day, the church will be given such power and such authority. No one will doubt that God exists. That doubt, um, the whole science movement of, uh, you know, of atheism and all these things, they'll be crushed and destroyed. No one will be able to doubt God and His existence because the two witnesses will make it so clear. But what you will get then is a clear division: lovers of God and haters of God. That will be the division. It won't be, oh, He doesn't exist. Prove it. We've just proved it. Fire came down from heaven by the power of God. You know, things like that. Taking place. The last believers who will be here before the Lord's return will be those believers who will experience the power of God like no other generation has ever experienced or witnessed, and they will prophesy. The exploits of the two witnesses. Um, Let's have a quick look. I just want to read through this. And it says If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have the power to shut up the sky. And it says these men. That's my translation. Is one of the few translations that says it. Most of them say these. Mm-hmm. These have the power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain. So there was an assumption in, with the NIV writers that they were men. And that assumption came in. Because I looked at the actual Greek. There's no mention of man mm-hmm. in the Greek. It was just these. So, cause when I saw that, I thought, oh, "Okay, I better double check that." And I double checked mm. it, and "men" does not exist in the Greek. It's mm. just these. So, um, even in the King James, we have assumptions that were made with things, and in the NIV, actually a lot of translations. There's small assumptions that are made that can alter the words uh, partially, not changing a huge amount of the meaning. But in this case, it does change a lot of the meaning. Mm. You know, because if it is, if it's not men, if it's And it could be as well, you could think these men, as in many men, it doesn't say two men, Um, well it does say two witnesses, but uh, these have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them, Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts, because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of at the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe was past; The third woe is coming soon. And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. and There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And so that is when Jesus returns at the seventh trumpet, just as 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52 says, at the last trumpet, the Lord will return. So, fire comes from their mouths, devouring their enemies. That's one of the things, fire coming out of their mouths. They shut up the sky so there's no rain while they're prophesying. They turn water to blood. They strike the earth with plagues and the beast will attack them, and many translations say make war. I think your translation says make war. The beast makes war and overpowers and kills them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. And I want to look, talk about that. For three and a half days, the world will refuse them burial, they won't be allowed to be buried. Uh, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and send each other gifts because these prophets had tormented them so it'll be like Christmas to them that these guys are gone or this group of people are gone after three and a half days God will bring them back to life and they'll go up to heaven in a cloud which sounds like what? the rapture the rapture And I'm going to actually start my sermon from there next week from where we talk about fire coming from their mouths or next week or in a few weeks time it might not be next week But I want to shoot forward. Just let me find it. I'm going to shoot forward to a a screen. Because I've spoken about this a bit today, I feel we need to look at it. People refuse to bury them. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The world will hate them so much they won't even let them be buried for three and a half days. Now, many things in the Scriptures are spoken of as in days but they mean years. Mm -hmm. Um, Many are spoken of as weeks, and those weeks are seven-year periods. um, uh, Many, many times we see this. In the 70 weeks of Daniel, uh, we have seven weeks plus 62 weeks, which makes 69 weeks. And if you times that 69 weeks by um, uh, seven to get the days, you get 483 days, which became 483 years. And from the time that was spoken... um, came right through to where Jesus arrives on, on the planet in 27 AD and he comes into the into Jerusalem and it actually happened to become uh, 483 day, uh, years after that time that it was written so it was very very accurate in if you go for a day to year prophecy and it's done many times like even in Ezekiel 4.6 he says I've assigned you 40 days a day for each year he had to lay on his side for 40 days, who remembers that scripture mm-hmm. a day for each year with prophecy days can refer to years, and since Revelation eleven is a prophetic vision, it could apply here. And so when we what we see is the two witnesses are given power and can you see my little thing there? No, it doesn't come up. And for three and a half years, if this is if this is true, and I want you to keep doing your research on it, the two witnesses are given power at the beginning of the seven-year period, and they believers are in power for three and a half years. At the end of that time, the Antichrist comes up and will attack, overpower, and kill them for three... And their bodies will lay for three and a half days. And we, they're saying that that could be a three and a half year period, day to year. And so for three and a half years, there will be a persecution breaking out on the church. And remember, when I teach Revelation, everything has to be considered. Um, usually, if I show, talk about a certain view in the book of Revelation, I'll give you four, five, six, seven, eight views that are related to that. I'll give you the preterist view and I'll give you the historicist view and and so on. So this is a view that we should really look at. So for three and a half years, persecution, the beast uh, makes war. Now where we actually see this as being fulfilled is in the book of Revelation itself. So if we go to just before the sixth and seventh seal in Revelation 6, we're going to look at what the Lord uh, says about these believers on earth during this time. 6-9, 6-9, sorry, 6-9, yeah. When he opened the fifth seal, that's the one, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So he saw under the altar those that were slain because of the testimony, and people would say, well, that could be right throughout history, those under the altar slain. But we get more information about who these people are. They called out in a loud voice, and this is what they said to God How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. This is during the fifth seal. Wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. So they were just told, Wait, there's more to come. There's more to, just like you are going to come in, and they're going to come under the altar as well. Let's go to uh, Revelation 7.13, where we get a little bit more information about those in white robes. So Revelation 7.13, and it says, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? That was the same ones, because they were given white robes and told to wait a little longer until the full number of those who were to be killed as they had been killed was brought in. They were given white robes to wear, and I, when he was said, who are they, this angel, and, and John said, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of where? Great tribulations. They came out of the great tribulation. So they're in it to come out of it. Mm, they came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So they're under the altar, before the throne of God. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now let's go a little bit further to souls in heaven, which is Revelation 20, verse 1. He said, And it says here, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss... And holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So that's, he was bound for the thousand year millennial period. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. So what they're talking about, during the tribulation, there's going to be a mark which is going to be forced on everyone, old and young, free and slave, rich and poor. And these guys were beheaded because they did not receive that mark and they did not worship the beast. And so these men... During the tribulation, when these things take place, these men and women, they had not worshipped the beast through his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and who will reign with him for a thousand years. So those that actually are going through the tribulation those that are taking those you know going through those very things that we're talking about and suffering in that way will become priests of God most high in the temple at that time. Now the woman and the dragon is also interesting. Let's go to Revelation 12. All of these things are referring to the same period. Revelation 12:10 Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is hard stuff, isn't it, in Scripture? Aren't these hard words? This is all in Scripture. You know, if you if you only go to the pet, your pet Scriptures, you'll never see this. And when you get this preached, you're just like, whoa, where's this coming from? This is left field. But they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. These guys at this time. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows he's got a short time. His time is short. So the devil at this time is coming down and he's going to use his power and he's going to only give him three and a half years he's got a three and a half year period he's going to come down and persecute the church and it says here when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle and the woman they believe represents Israel The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time. What's that represent? Three three and a half years. years, 1,360 days or 42 months. It's just another way of saying it. Out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman. We'll look at the symbology of this another time. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon, this is the key verse here, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against who? The rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. For three and a half years, Satan is going to come and make war against those who hold to the commandments of Jesus, the Christians. Those that believe in him. So there's another reference to the church being on earth during this time. Power to exercise authority. Let's look here, just one chapter on. 13, chapter uh, verse 5, and it says, The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for how many? 42 months, which is one thousand two hundred sixty days, which is three and a half years or times... Time, times and half a time, times, time, half a time. Mm. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander His name and His dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against who? Say, who are the saints? Christians, the church, the saints. Mm. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. Mm. Now, for the for 1,260 days, the two witnesses can't be conquered. But then it says here, for 1,260 days, he's given the power to conquer them. We also see at the end of 1,260 days, when the devil rose up, when the great dragon rose up, he attacked them, he made war against them. So that's referencing the same period here. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the land that was slain from the creation of the world he who has neither let him hear if anyone this is this is a word for us the church if anyone is to go into captivity into captivity he will go what's captivity prison. prison if anyone is to be killed with the sword with the sword he will be killed and then it says this this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Mm. Faithful, patient, endurance. Faithfulness on the part of the saints. Faithful, endurance, and patience. We need to be patient with God. We need to trust in Him. Because this time, at this time, it'll, it'll, there's never been a time like it. And we will be brought to our knees and in a level we've never been brought to our knees before. Because we're going to have to cry out to God for everything, even our food. Because we won't be able to buy or sell unless we take the mark of the beast. And if we refuse to take it, we're going to starve. And that's why we get another exhortation not long from here. And I'm about to read it to you where he calls us again to be patient. The testimony of the third angel, Revelation 14, 9 to 13. It says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. So that's pretty severe, isn't it? He will be, listen to these words. This is anyone who, anyone who takes the mark of the beast. When this system comes in if you're, um, and they're trying to force you to put a mark on your wrist or your forehead, do not take it. It's better for you to die of starvation than to take that mark. Amen? Yes, amen. But you know what? God will be faithful through it all. He will be, and this one says, anyone who takes this mark, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image and for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This, again, what does it say? This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. We have to be faithful. And why does it call for patient endurance here? Because it's talking about a mark that you can't buy or sell with without it. That means we can't get anything to eat. We can't get clothing. We can't get anything. We can't put petrol in the car when we're, we're stuck. It calls for patient endurance. It makes, means that we're going to have to live by faith. We're going to have to live by faith in an all-providing God. When the, when the Israelites were taken into the, into the desert, they were dying of thirst. There's no water. So God brought them to water and he opened up rocks and water came out. And then they were hungry. So God let manna drop down from heaven and they collected manna. God looked after them. If God can create the universe, I'm sure he can create a loaf of bread. Yes. <laughs> you know, if we can create a loaf of bread, imagine God's loaf of bread. And it won't be bad cubs, be good cubs. And I always had that because I've got this thing with bread. <laughs> but, um, and when they cried out, where's the meat? I was better back in Egypt. It was much better back in Egypt because we had meat in our pots. So God gave them quails. And guess what? You didn't have to get a dog to browse them up and shoot them. Or hit them with a bow and arrow because they're really little. They'll be hard to hit with a bow and arrow. You just go and collect them. They're just sitting there waiting to eat me. <laughs> that's what it was like they just went out and just collected it up but God provided that's the point faith God gave them that faith that belief but God was with them and this is what's going to be happening at this time power of the holy people is broken in Daniel twelve seven, and this is the last scripture I might even go back to verse 3 and he says then I Daniel looked and there before me stood two others one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen because there was a man clothed in linen who was called the son of man. He was in the centre of the vision and, and these two men appeared on either side. And This is another scripture that people think is why there's, these are the two witnesses because these two witnesses are re- beside them. And uh, we have reason to believe it could have been Moses and Elijah again that was up beside Jesus in this vision. It says, I then looked and there before me stood two others, one on this side of the bank uh, and one on the uh, other side, opposite side of the bank. There's also one other time when that happened too, when the ascension, when Jesus went up to the ascension and mm. these two men appeared beside the disciples and said, what, why are you you're looking up in the clouds? You know, this same Jesus who you've seen ascend into heaven will be returning the same way. And there was two men just appeared out of nowhere. Mm. Um, there was also men that appeared um, talking to Mary Magdalene and, and others um, in the tomb of Jesus as well, these same two men. So it's interesting as we as we read about these two men. And that, all of that led us to believe that two witnesses would have to be these same two men. And it very much could still be that, leading the church, an empowered church. Because the Bible speaks about him pouring out his spirit and giving power to all the all the people of God. And he'll pour out his spirit on, on those in those days, on people in those days. So one of them said to the man, clothed in linen. That's Jesus in the center, the son of man. Who was above the waters of the river. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And If you read these astonishing things, it's all about the last times. It's all about the days we're heading into. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time. There's that same statement again. What's that? Three and a half years. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken all these things will be completed so when the power of the holy people again people thought that holy people were just two men but the holy people when they're all broken that power has been broken these things will be completed and that would be when the seventh trumpet sounds and the church goes up to be with the Lord and there will be those alive but the power of God in these people broken. There could be those hidden. I believe God will protect, you know, the elderly and the women and children. So let's pray we get a bit older before then. But um, I believe this is uh, a word from God in in preparation for this time. Amen. Amen. Now, please, as I preach this, and I always encourage you, check me out. Don't just go, I don't want to believe that stuff because it just scares me. It's just too much to bear you know, but take it for what it is. It's in the Scriptures. It should be looked at. I do plenty of sermons where, um, you know, I I looked over my sermons that I've done in the last months where, you know, we talk about living epistles and we're talking about the love of God and we're talking about grace and and a whole range of other doctrines. Um, But um, from time to time, I like to get into this stuff because it is stuff we need to hear in these days. But I wrote here, At present Christians annoy the people of the world, but at this time Christians will torment them so much they'll celebrate when they get killed. And uh, you, know, you can see that happening the Muslim, in the Muslim world when they kill Christians. They celebrate when they kill Christians. It's like a, a great honour. It's like a, a victory. Um, so just use this w- word today in preparation. Prepare your hearts you know, and let's pray that we escape all that is about to happen, because it actually says to pray that and Jesus said, "Pray that you'll be able to escape all that is about to come upon the earth." And however that escape is, um, we just pray, Lord, just protect us, help us to get through this time and uh, escape these terrible things. But Lord, at the same time, you know, when when the Lord said, you know. Many will go into captivity and if you're destined for captivity in the captivity you'll go. If you you're gonna be killed by the sword, by the sword you will be killed. Mm-hmm. You also have to understand that sometimes God has different things set aside for different people. Mm-hmm. And he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. He'll enable you in all things to go through it. But isn't it good to get your heart checked in this way? Mm-hmm. You know. I remember my Christianity changed dramatically after reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. Mm-hmm. My I went from just being a watered-down, watered lukewarm Christian mm. to a Christian that was pretty hot for God, mm. pretty serious for God. And that's why I'm up here speaking what I am today. Mm. And uh, so check yourself with this with this knowledge, and I pray that you'd be blessed as you do. Amen? Amen. Yeah. All right, so thank you, Lord, for this message. Lord, and I can see um, that uh, the message is shaken us to the core a bit today and I just pray, Lord, that you would, uh, by the Spirit of God, just move in all our hearts and help us, give us that comfort, that peace that surpasses all understanding and help us to uh, take from the words of Scripture and the words that you spoke, Lord, especially as we look through Matthew 24 and the hard words you spoke there and, Lord, um, just help us to check ourselves by the things that you've said, the things that you've declared so that, Lord, we can become the Christians we're meant to be, that we won't run from um, the truths of, uh, of this, but we'll embrace them and, and uh, be strengthened and become more than we are now. Um, so, Lord, I just pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus, that you just help us and be with us all, Lord, and, and bless us and help us, Lord, to, um, to go forward as, in this uh, as a church and strengthen us and encourage us and build us up, Lord. And prepare us for the times ahead. And uh, Lord, also I look forward so much to the times of refreshing that you're going to bring and the the revivals and moves of spirit you're going to bring. And so Lord, make us a people that are hungry for that and desire that with all our hearts. And so get us into prayer, I pray. In the name of Jesus.